A video version of this podcast is available at AboundingJoy.com and also on our YouTube pages. Hey, my name's Steve Hall, and I want to thank you for joining our Bible study today. Before we get into today's Bible study, I would like to invite you to come to check out our Standing Firm Bible Study class in person. We're at Fairview Baptist Tabernacle in Sweetwater, Tennessee. We meet in the downstairs fellowship hall of the auditorium building at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings immediately after the 9 o'clock worship service. Here's a little map for you. See the little red lines? (laughs) Notice if you're in the auditorium, just follow those red arrows. If you're in the back, go straight down that hallway behind you to the stairwell. If you're near the front of the auditorium, you can go out the left door, and I mean left as you're sitting in the auditorium looking toward the pulpit and the choir, go to your left, go out that door, all the way down to the end of the hall, keep to your left, all the way down to the stairwell, and then turn right and go down the stairwell. We meet in the fellowship hall around the tables near the kitchen downstairs. If you have trouble with stairs, there are men driving golf carts near the entrance to the auditorium building at the crossover there who will be glad to give you a ride to a door that enters the building on our level, so you won't have to do any steps at all. We're a co-educational class, men and women both invited. We're for all ages, doesn't matter how old or how young. Children and youth are certainly welcome, but some children and youth actually prefer to go to the children and youth classes, which meet at the same time we meet, more on their level. Dress, totally casual. Class members are certainly encouraged to participate in the Bible study, ask questions, engage in conversation. But listen, if you happen to be kind of shy, we promise we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to read. We're not going to ask you to pray. We're not going to ask you any specific questions directed to you. It isn't unusual for class members who are kind of shy just to not say anything at all once class gets started. So that's your choice. So I'm just saying, please don't feel intimidated if you happen to be the shy type. I know sometimes the first meeting is kind of tough for the shy people. But there's never been a time when it's been more important for God's people to meet in small Bible study fellowship groups in order to encourage each other. We've got to stand firm in his truth. We've got to stand firm on his word. These are very confusing days we're living in. You know that. So we'd love for you to join us and just see for yourself what God's doing in our class. If you'd like more information... Go to AboundingJoy.com. There's the web address right there on the screen. You can click on the Standing Firm Bible Class menu item when you get there. You may want to hit pause right now or do a screen save to get make sure you get the spelling right, but you can learn more information about us there. Now, here's today's Bible study. I hope and pray it helps you grow stronger in our Lord Jesus Christ and in your knowledge of His Word and of His will for your life. Well, hey guys, thanks for joining me in Bible study again today. We are back in Romans chapter 5 once again. I'm sure that most all of us have ridden in cars many, many, many times in our lifetimes. But most of us have no clue about what's going on under the hood of that car while we're riding in the car. We just get in the car and go. Most all of us have taken many, many doses of medicine many, many times through the years in our lives. But most all of us take it without really understanding what it's doing when it gets inside our bodies. What's it really do when it gets to my stomach? I don't know. It just seems to work, so I take medicine. 
Most all of us have watched way, way too many television shows in our lifetimes. But how many of us really understand the details of how those pictures and how those voices go so incredibly through wires or through the air and appear on our television screens? How does it happen? I'm trying to give you examples here of the fact that we are all accustomed to accepting things and dealing with things that we really don't understand much yet, if we may not ever understand it. And we just accept it as part of our world. And being reminded of things like this helps us when we're studying some of the more difficult parts of God's Word, like we're studying today in Romans chapter 5. We're in Romans chapter 5, and today we're going to continue to look at some tremendously important truths. It's really important. It's part of God's Word. And we may not fully understand it. It's possible that some of the things we talk about today will raise some questions in our minds that we just won't be able to answer this side of eternity. That's not too unusual when we're studying God's Word. We learn to trust God with many, many things that we don't fully understand for the time being. So that's important to keep in mind as we launch back into this study. Last time we were in Romans, we were introduced to these extremely important verses in chapter 5, beginning verse 12, working our way on down through verse 21. We're going to be there for a while. We took a little time to examine the context of this section as it relates to chapters 1 all the way up through chapter 5, verse 11. Also, as it relates to the following chapters, chapter 6 and 7 and 8, we learned a little bit about the context. We learned that the primary point of this passage, the main purpose of these words from God, remember, through the Apostle Paul, is to tell us that as we are related by nature to Adam, so also those of us who are Christians are related by grace to Jesus Christ. Our relationship to Adam was, in essence, in principle, the same as our relationship is now, to Christ. That's, that's the main point he's making here. And we have to keep that fact in mind as we examine some of the details, because if we lose hold of that overlying truth of what Paul's doing here, we may find ourselves getting into some real messes, you know, some hopeless muddles trying to understand what God's teaching us here if we, if we don't understand the whole picture. We also noticed how this passage causes great problems for more liberal thinkers who want to reject the biblical teaching that Adam was a literal man. It's a massive problem for them. We also considered the danger of basing what we believe on what we understand or don't understand. The truth is we simply cannot understand all that God reveals to us in his word. We just need to get used to that. Sometimes he reveals truth to us that he wants us to read and study and wrestle with, but we may not fully understand it until we have our new glorified bodies. That's okay. Finally, we took some time to try to get a handle on the sentence structure of this, of this section, you know, the, the flow of Paul's thinking. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he writes these, all these things down, but we need to try to understand the flow. We saw that the comparison that he began in verse 12 just as, is completed in verses 18 and 19. And we saw how verses 13 and 14 make up a parenthesis that explains the last three words of verse 12, because all sin. We're going to focus on that today. We also saw how verses 15 through 17 make up a second parenthesis, 
to show the contrast between Adam and Christ. So that's kind of an overview, and hopefully that overview helps us get things back into focus before we launch back into it today. But we need to pay close attention to what we're looking at. Ask God to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Today we're going to tackle verse 12. turns out to be one of the most important verses in the Bible. <laughs> you say, Steve, you say that a lot. Yeah, probably. You'll probably hear me say that a lot about a lot of verses in the Bible, but it's true. <laughs> So first, let's just read this whole difficult section one more time to help us see the context. Remember, this is God's word. It's important for us to study it. It's God's word. Verse 12, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many." And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment rose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now remember, there are two heads of the human race. The first head of the human race was Adam. The last head of the human race is Jesus Christ. And it's okay to refer to Jesus as the second Adam, because he is the second Adam, as long as we remember there is no third Adam, (laughs) and there is no fourth Adam. There never will be. Jesus is the second Adam, but Jesus is the last Adam. Look at this verse from 1 Corinthians 15. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, there it is, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. One of the most exciting and life-changing things that can happen to a Christian after his initial salvation is when he or she begins to realize just what the Bible has to say about who we are in Christ. I'm telling you, it's fabulous. It's very wonderful. And it's just God's truth. But Satan doesn't want us to see it. When we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, at that very moment, 
we become part of a new race, to, to, for lack of a better word, a, a new kind of man, a new mankind. And, and when we begin to really understand who we are in Christ, what has happened to us, exciting things begin to take place in our lives. But Satan has deceived many, many Christians concerning their identity in Christ. And as a result, many, many Christians are living spiritually impoverished, defeated lives because they don't know who they are in Christ. And when we finally begin to realize who we are in Christ, life starts to become incredibly exciting and we begin to experience true victorious Christian living. But we have to understand God's truth from his word. It's not, it's, we're not talking about psychology here. We're talking about understanding what the truth is according to God. But before we can really appreciate who we are in Christ and all that that implies, we have to understand who we once were in Adam so we can get this whole picture that God's giving us here. In verse 12, God tells us how sin and death entered the world. As you know, sin is rebellion against God. It's a refusal to obey his commands. It is a transgression of his law. It is being unrighteous. It's missing God's mark. It's falling short of God's standard. And God reveals to us that sin was an intruder into God's beautiful creation in the Garden of Eden. There was a time when man, I'm talking about Adam and Eve, man lived in innocence. There was no sin. Therefore, there was no death. Look again at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now notice the word translated entered here in verse 12. Could have been translated invaded. It's exactly the same word Jesus used in Matthew chapter 12 to describe the fact that he had invaded Satan's kingdom. You remember that verse? Look at it. How can someone, Jesus said, enter a strong man's house, he's talking about Satan, and plunder his goods, that's what Jesus was doing, unless he first binds a strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Did you see how that started? How can someone enter, invade, that's what Jesus did, a strong man's house? So the idea here in Romans 5.12 is that there was a time when sin wasn't there. Then it came in. It entered, it invaded, and when it came in, it brought death along with it. Look at it again in verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all sinned. If Adam had not sinned, he would not have died. Look what God told Adam in Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Now look at this. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God told Adam that if he disobeyed, he would die. And of course, that implies if he obeyed, he would not die. Look what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The sting of death is sin. The sting of death is sin. Sin is the instrument, the stinger that brings death. And how did sin and death get in? They got in through one man. 
They got in through one sin of one man, Adam. Verse 12 again, therefore, just as through one man, there it is, through one man, sin entered into the world. Now, anyone who looks at life around us, anyone who looks at the world we live in today, or in fact, life in the world at any time since Adam, <laughs> it's all been the same. Anyone who looks around is confronted with two very unquestionable, undeniable facts. The number one fact is this, sin and the effects of sin are universal. Everywhere you look, the effects of sin are continually ruining lives. We live in a sin-drenched, sin-polluted, sin-ruined world. And the number two undeniable truth is this. Death is universal. Everyone dies. It's clearly a fundamental law of the universe. Everything's dying all around us. The universe is running down. People die. Animals die. Plants die. Death is everywhere in this physical world of ours. Nothing escapes it. And the universality of death is tied in with something that physicists call the second law of thermodynamics. We're not going to get into that right now, but the second law does turn out to be of great significance to Christians. We'll consider it more fully when we get to chapter 8. But sin and death are universal. Why? God tells us in his word. That's because of one man, Adam. Adam sinned. Now look again at the last part of verse 12. So death spread to all men, look at this, because all sinned, because all sinned. Those last three words, because all sinned, turn out to be really important. What's he mean by this? Before I ever studied this passage carefully, I had assumed it just meant, well, all of us have committed acts of disobedience just like Adam did. In fact, the King James mistranslates this. The King James says, For all have sinned, which certainly can communicate a, a clear and obvious truth. It is true we all have sinned, right? There's no doubt about it. We've all certainly sinned. But I'm convinced now that God's teaching us another important truth in these words in this particular passage. What God's saying here is that when Adam sinned, we all were in him, and so we sinned too. We all sinned in Adam. We sinned in Adam. When Adam sinned as the head of the human race and as the ancestor of us all, God says we all became guilty with him. And when we were born into this world, we were born into it as sinners. Sinners because we were in Adam. Guilty because we were in Adam. We were born not merely with a potential for sinning, not merely with a sin nature. Though, of course, those things are certainly true. The Bible teaches that. But we were born actually as sinners. Now, don't turn me off. <laughs> Stay with me here. We need to follow God's word here. As we're going to see later on, this turns out to be really important, so please stay with me. We're going to soon realize that we must understand it this way. First, it's important to realize that the correct translation of the Greek is because all sinned. It is not 
because all have sinned. Those would be different Greek constructions. There's a clear distinction in the Greek tenses. The Greek tense that God himself chose to use here very definitely refers to a thing that happened at a point in time in the past. It happened. It doesn't mean something that has been happening. God would have used another Greek tense to communicate something that is going on as a continuing thing. If he was talking about that right now, now stay with me. Don't misunderstand me, please. I know sin really is a continuing thing. Oh, yes, of course. But that's just not what God's teaching us in this particular verse. The Greek here clearly implies that when Adam sinned at a definite point in time in the past, we all sinned at that same definite point of time in the past. We sinned in Adam. Keep in mind, later we're going to see how this relates to the fact that we are now in Christ. Keep that in mind. A second reason why it has to be interpreted that way, that we sinned in Adam, is the parenthesis he adds in verses 13 and 14. Remember, last time we were in Romans chapter 5, we saw verse 13 and 14 are a parenthesis that explains these words, because all sinned. And here's his explanation. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. What's he saying here in verses 13 and 14? He's saying this, to demonstrate what I just said, that all men are guilty of Adam's sin. He says, consider the men who lived during the 2,500 years or so between Adam and Moses. The explicit laws of God had not yet been given. They had no written laws of God to violate. And he tells us in verse 13, therefore sin was not imputed to them. Not imputed. Not imputed means not legally held against them. There was no sin committed by them personally that was charged to their account because there was no law. You may remember he said this earlier in chapter 4, verse 15, where there is no law, there is no transgression. And that doesn't mean, of course, they didn't commit sin. Of course they committed sin. I mean, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah makes it clear that obviously people were committing sins. We know there was a lot of sin in the world there. The flood in Noah's day makes it clear people were committing terrible sins, no doubt about that. Clearly there was plenty of sin in that day before the law was given. Sin is sin before or after the law. But legally speaking, it was not counted as transgression on God's books until God's law was clearly given. In verse 14 here in chapter 5, he says that they had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. In other words, Adam had been given a very specific command from God. Don't eat the fruit of that tree. And Adam disobeyed that command. These people had not been given a specific command. Therefore, their sin was not imputed to them. That's in verse 13. Sin is not imputed where there is no law. And yet they died anyway. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even of those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Why did they die? Not because of their own sin. It wasn't imputed to them. They had not committed violations of specific commands from God. They died because they were guilty of sin in Adam. And when he sinned, his guilt passed to them, along with the penalty for his sin, death. 
Are you beginning to see Paul's logic here? They would not have died had they not been guilty, but they did die, but not because of their own personal sin. It was not imputed. They sinned in Adam. Now, there's a third powerful reason why the last three words of verse 12 mean that when Adam sinned as head of the human race, we all became guilty with him. Remember, the penalty for sin is death, but there are babies that die shortly after they're born. They have certainly not transgressed God's law personally, but they die. The fact that they die clearly shows they're guilty of sin. But how can this be? The answer is they sinned in Adam. If we all died because of our own actual sins, babies couldn't die until they reached the age of personal accountability, but we all know they do die. <laughs> I know. Maybe we need to pause here and just take a deep breath and say it's okay to acknowledge that this can be really challenging and difficult for us to grasp. It can be hard for us to wrap our brains around what God's saying. But I'm confident that when we get this completely worked through, we're going to be able to rejoice with exceeding great joy. Remember how he told us the first part of the chapter, we had a lot to exult about. When we understand this, we will exult in God. We really will. It's amazing. So verse 12 cannot mean so death spread to all men because all have imitated Adam and sinned just like he sinned. And it can't mean that because babies die. They've not imitated Adam. Not only that, listen now, but if in this particular passage, it means all of us have imitated Adam and sinned just like he did, then it destroys the parallel he's making between Adam and Christ. It destroys the very point he's making here. So please stay with me. If in this passage, it means all have actually sinned just like Adam sinned, therefore all die because all of us have actually sinned, then it would imply that all of us who are saved in Jesus Christ are saved because we've actually done good, just like Christ did good. We've imitated Christ and therefore we are saved. It would imply salvation by works. And remember the entire theme of the whole letter of Romans is that we are not justified by works. We're justified by faith. <laughs> we cannot even say it means here in this passage that all of us have a sinful nature. Now, we know it's true. We're all born with a sinful nature, but that's not the point he's making here. He makes that point other places in Scripture. That's not what he means here when he says all sinned, because all sinned. Again, that would destroy the comparison between Adam and Christ. If we die because we have a sinful nature, that would imply we're saved and get eternal life because we have a holy nature. That's not true. You remember, we were justified while we were ungodly. God makes that point very powerfully here in Romans. So here's the parallel. One man's sin, the action of one man, brought death upon us all. In the same way, the action of one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought life to all of us who will believe. Let's look at these verses again. Notice how he drives this point home so clearly. Look at verse 15. By the transgression of the one, the many died. Look at verse 16. The judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. Condemnation for all of us. 
Look at verse 17. By the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Verse 18. As through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. And verse 19 may be the clearest of all. Through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So all the way through this passage, he's making the point that just as all of us were made sinners, just as all of us were condemned to death in what Adam did for us, in the same way, all of us who believe in Jesus are made clean, we're justified, we're made righteous in what Jesus Christ did for us, not our own doing, it's his. He did it. We die not because of what we've done, but because of what Adam did. We receive eternal life, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. And because of Adam's sin, we are all sinners in God's sight, not just because of our own personal sin. And it turns out to be very important, guys, that we get a thorough grasp of these things in order to appreciate what he's going to say later. Now, there are some people... When they begin to see what God's saying here, there's some people who will tend to say, I can't, I can't, I can't accept that. Doesn't seem fair to me. Doesn't seem fair that God would allow the penalty of death to pass upon all of us because of Adam's sin. After all, I didn't ask to have Adam as my ancestor. We're going to talk about that a little bit more next time. But we've got to be very careful here. God reminds us through Abraham in Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Of course he will. And think about it. When we come down to it, is it fair that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us who've received him? Is that really fair? Is it fair what Jesus had to do on the cross for us? And we might say, I just can't understand it. Okay. <laughs> Can we understand how the righteousness of Christ has been imputed to us who've received him? I don't understand all of this. But God hasn't called me to understand it all just yet. Listen now. He has called me to study his word. This is his word. He has called me to believe his word. He has called me to teach his word as faithfully as I can. <laughs> and by his grace, that's what I want to do. Even if I don't understand it all, I don't have to understand it all. You know what God said in Deuteronomy 29, 29? Look at this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things that are revealed belong to us to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Some things are still hidden from us, and we've got to be very careful about basing our belief on only what we can understand. That's what causes some people to go off the cliff into liberalism. If we follow through with trying to base our belief only what I can understand, we'll eventually have no gospel left at all, guys. Someday, we'll understand more. For now, we just trust God with the things we cannot understand. We study His Word the best we can, and the things we can't quite put together, we trust Him. 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see in a mirror, dimly, then face to face. Now I know in part. I just know in part now. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So here we are. Very difficult section of Scripture. But remember, remember what God said in 2 Timothy 3? All Scripture... A-L-L, all scripture, including Romans 5, is breathed out by God 
and it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's all profitable. And that includes Romans 5. So we've got to persevere. <laughs> the reward of firmly grasping these truths the best we can and trusting God with the things we can understand will be worth the effort. I'm promising you it will. The effort you spend studying God's Word, praying over God's Word, working our way through these verses, God has wonderful blessings for all who will dig deeply into His Word. Remember what He said in Proverbs chapter 2? If you seek it, He's talking about wisdom there, like silver, search for it as for hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and will find the knowledge of God. Look at this in Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Look at this now. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. You hear what God's saying? All of God's words are treasure, far beyond all the treasures we might desire in this world. Let's treat it like that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you have put things in your word that are sometimes difficult for us to understand. We do not have fully your mind. You're bigger than we are. We cannot understand everything. But thank you for revealing some of these things to us to give us an opportunity to understand you and your salvation and your plan a little bit better than maybe we've understood it before. Lord, you're giving us some things that are hard to, to, to deal with, hard to struggle with, hard to wrestle with, hard to dig into. But Lord, help us to, to be willing to use the mental discipline and exercise our brains and our wills to, to, uh, to study your word, to try to grasp these things the best we can by your grace, with your help, with the power of your spirit teaching us. So, Lord, continue to teach us and help us to study your word faithfully and help us just, whether we understand it or not, to believe you and to give you praise and glory and honor for the amazing treasure you've given us in your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.